Welcome back to the Servants of Grace podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this podcast. And today we continue our study through the doctrine of scripture, looking at getting a grip on the word of God. Today we're going to talk about theological liberalism and its devastating effect today in church history and today on the life and the health of the church. Friedrich Schocklemacher was born November 21st, 1968, and he died February 12th, 1834. Friedrich was considered the father of liberal theology. Friedrich began not with the Bible, a creed, or revelation, but with personal experience that happened to the individual and the community of faith. The influence of Friedrich is felt today among those who deny inerrancy by placing their opinions about science over the truth of Scripture alone. You see, at the end of the day, what theological liberalism and what biblical Christianity offer are in conflict. Friedrich is a perfect example of this as he believed that the stories that Moses wrote in Genesis were myth. Friedrich was known to place a high emphasis on how he felt rather than on what the Bible teaches. At the heart of this argument by theological liberals is the belief that the Bible is a book full of errors. Theological liberalism follows in the pattern of Friedrich today by placing an emphasis on what they feel rather than on what the Bible teaches. Such error, according to them, are either stated or implied by those who deny inerrancy. And for many of them, the conviction that there are some actual errors in Scripture is a major factor in persuading them against the doctrine of inerrancy. Christians should challenge us by asking the question, what specific verse or verses do these errors occur? See, asking this question will help us understand whether the person has little or no biblical literacy, but believes there are errors in the scriptures because others have told them so. Well, Christians should respond to any and all objections about problem text by going straight to the word of God. Christians who believe that that scripture is without error should be quick to study and to examine what scripture under question teaches in minute detail. After careful study of the problem passages, many Bible students have found that studying the passages bring to light one or more possible solutions to the difficulty. In a few cases, some passages may also give us no immediate solution to the difficulty, at which point it might be helpful to consult some commentaries on the scripture. And it's important to understand that the Bible is 2,000 years old, and any and all alleged problem texts have always been there. Highly competent biblical scholars have read, studied, and explained these difficult passages and found no difficulty in holding to biblical inerrancy. This should give believers confidence that the solutions of the problem texts are available and that belief in inerrancy is consistent with a lifetime of detailed attention to the text of scripture. Theological liberalism offers its adherents a version of Christianity which is incompatible with the biblical record. Theological liberalism has proven for church history that when its adherents take its teaching seriously, it has disastrous consequences for not only the health of the church but also to the gospel. Liberal theologians, by basing their beliefs on their feelings, offer nothing new under the sun. The only thing they offer is the same offer that Satan offered Adam and Eve in the garden, the seduction to be gods themselves. Liberal theology has serious consequences that include no foundation for truth, no basis for ethics and morals, which is one reason, among others, why schools who were once bastions of biblical orthodoxy abandoned inerrancy and sold themselves wholesale to the lie of liberalism. You see, the root problem with liberalism is that it has no standard by which truth may be measured. When truth is relegated to the arena of feelings, truth is immediately forced out of the window, and man sets himself or herself up as a god of their own world. This rejection of truth reveals that they don't want anything to do with the Bible. These are often the same people who come to the Bible to prove their scientific, historical, and other claims. You see, by coming to the Bible, they think it's full of errors. Liberal expose their inconsistency by revealing they are spiritually blind and do not know the word of incarnate in Jesus Christ. And the consequences of theological liberalism are devastating on the church and also on our contemporary society. Theological liberalism is not biblical Christianity. Instead, it is 
is a wholesale abandonment of secular ideas spawned by Satan. You see, the devil is still killing, destroying, and seeking to devour whom he may. The truth of God's word will always stand because it reveals the truth of Jesus Christ, the God-man. And Jesus died on a bloody cross. He was buried, rose again, and now serves as his people high priest. The 20th century was a time of great flux and anxiety in Europe, as the supremacy of Christianity in Europe was being challenged on the fronts of biblical criticism and evolution. When people raised the question of the decline of Christianity among the nations or a people group, one question that normally arises is, how is this occurring? Well, the number one reason this occurs in the local church is the local church devalues the role of the Bible. This leads to an unhealthy church that, that doesn't reach its surrounding area with the gospel. And so understanding what is truth is of great importance for understanding truth as coming from the word of God, as we've talked about, the inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, and authoritative word. This lays the foundation for understanding justice, morality, ethics, and religion. Well, Harold J. Berman, professor of law at Harvard University, he wrote The Interaction of Law and Religion, in which he discussed how Western culture has had a massive loss of confidence in law and religion. And this has caused a double loss of confidence and a radical separation between the two. And so Berman concludes that you cannot have workable rules for behavior without religion because only religion provides an absolute base on which morality and law can be based. And so he fears that Western society is doomed to relativism and law because of the loss of an absolute. So how can moral principles be grounded in and social organizations legitimized in the absence of a religiously based culture? Well, cultures that break away from the idea of an authoritative religion and even from the concept of God break away from the possibility of absolute truth. You see, the result is that the only remaining resources are existential relativism, which is a slippery, unstable, and ever-changing base on which no authoritative system of law or morals can be built. Religionless law can never command authority. The rational of the Enlightenment idealistic philosophy of the Romantic era were the parents of a criticism that sought to destroy the supernatural nature of the Bible. This view sought to make the Bible a revelation that makes the Bible a record of subjective evolution of religion and human consciousness. Higher or historical and literary criticism has come to be associated with the destructive views of liberalism and is the careful study of the historical background of each book of the Bible. Lower or textual criticism is a study of the text of the Bible in an attempt to ascertain whether the text that we have is the same one that came from the hands of the writers. And lower criticism has resulted in the granting of the text of the Bible a high degree of accuracy so that we can be assured that we have the writings of the original authors of Scripture. Thus, no doctrine or ethical teaching of Scripture can be called into question by the most radical criticism. It has been radical higher criticism rather than lower criticism that has destroyed the faith of many persons in the divine revelation of Scripture. Higher criticism was popularized by Gene Astruck, who divided the book of Genesis into two parts. Johann G. Eichhorn laid down the dictum that the Bible was to be read as a human book and tested by human beings. Karl Graf and Julius Wellenhausen developed an elaborate system known as the Graf-Wellenhausen theory, which stated that sections in which the name Jehovah is used constitute the early document. Another part by another author is known as E, and still another in Deuteronomy as DNP. In this fashion, the unity of the Pentateuch and its Mosaic authorship was denied. Herman, Herman S. Rismus used the possibility of biblical miracles in advance that the New Testament writers were frauds. Godhold Lessing argued that the scriptures served man as a guide during the primitive phase of his religious development, but that reason and duty were sufficient guides in more advanced states of religion. Fernand Bauer argued that the early church 
church had emphasized a law on the Messiah. In the 20th century, men like David Strauss denied both the miracles and the integrity of the New Testament, as well as the deity of Christ, whom he saw as a man who he thought was the Messiah. Charles Darwin wrote The Origin of Species in 1859. What was new about this theory was his powerful and persuasive explanation of how the process of evolution works, the theory of natural selection. He pointed out that, that creatures are similar to their parents, but not identical. There is apparently random minor variations in each generation. And he argued that those individuals that happen to be well-suited to their environment will survive, prosper, and give birth to new individuals sharing their characteristics. Well, those less suited will die out. So any new characteristic with which an individual is born is likely to be passed on if it's useful. In this way, species evolve and develop in a process that is not random or determined by God, but follows natural laws. At another level, the theory of evolution contradicted fundamental Christian notions about humanity and sin. In 1871, he expanded on his ideas in The Descent of Man, in which he argued that human beings evolved naturally from lower creatures. So not only does life itself follow natural laws, but the human mind and soul are not some supernatural element breathed into the body by God. These evolved from nothing. And even more fundamentally, however, Darwin's theories left a shrinking place for God. In the Enlightenment, scientists had described a world that that function according to the laws laid down by God. God had set everything up and then left it to its own devices. This was deism. But now it seemed that the world in its present state was not directed by God. The theory of evolution denied the direct creation of man by God and the great damage came from the application of that theory to the development of religion. God and the Bible were looked upon as evolutionary products of man's religious consciousness. And the books of the Bible were dated accordingly. Biblical eschatology in which the perfection would come into this world only by the direct intervention of God through the return of Christ was replaced by the evolutionary view of a world that was being increasingly improved on by human effort. Because man was not guilty through original sin, there was no need of Christ as Savior. Evolution was also used to justify the idea of race superiority because the idea seemed to fit in with Darwin's concept of the survival of the fittest. It's also been used to justify having no absolute foundation or norm for ethics. Good conduct is merely those actions deemed suitable by each generation for the proper conduct of society. The doctor the of evolution has also been used to glorify war as the survival of the fittest. All these conclusions have been reached by the application of a biological theory to other fields through an unwarranted use of the argument from analogy. Germany, for example, during Hitler's reign, illustrates the lengths to which people will go when they deny God's revelation in the Bible and when they replace revelation with reason and science as the authority for thought and action. In Europe, the Roman Catholic Church emerged from World War I with an enhanced prestige and vigor that carried it through the troubled period, with much of mankind was moved despairingly, hoping that there would be an introduction to permanent peace, but which proved to be a prelude to even more gigantic war. During and after World War I, Benedict XV again and again addressed the world, calling to its attention principles for establishing peace and urging belligerents to compose their difference. You see, he used the facilities of his church to alleviate the sufferings from the war through negotiating the exchange of prisoners and civilians in occupied countries, aiding the sick, furthering the reparation of prisoners of war, and the correspondence of prisoners with their families, and promoting the relief of devastated areas. The upheaval of the first half of the 20th century were felt among most strongly in Europe. That continent had been the cradle of much of the optimistic philosophy and the theology of the 19th century. It had dreamt that under its leadership humankind would see a new day. It had also convinced itself that its 
colonial ventures were a vast, vast enterprise for the good of the world. European Protestantism had been far more involved in this illusion than its Catholic counterpart. For Catholicism during the 19th century had reacted to this modern world with wholesale condemnation, while Protestant liberalism had practiced uh, practically capitulated before the New Age. Therefore, when the new the two world wars and the events surrounding them gave into the lie that the dreams of the 19th century, Protestant liberalism was shaken to its very foundation. During the 19th century, partially as a result of the failure of Catholicism to respond creatively to the challenges of the modern world, skepticism and secularism had become common in France. In the 20th century, partially as a result of the failure of liberalism and its optimistic hopes, those areas where Protestantism had been traditionally strong, Germany, Scandinavia, and Great Britain, also witnessed a decided increase in skepticism and secularism. By the middle of the century, it was clear that Northern Europe was no longer a stronghold of Protestantism and that other areas of the world had been taken had taken the position of leadership in Protestantism that had once belonged to it. Well, Protestantism was sorely lacking in a theology that could help it understand the events of the times and respond to them. Liberalism, with its optimistic view of human nature and capabilities, had no word for the situation. During the previous century, German liberal scholarship had depicted Luther as both the forerunner of liberalism and the embodiment of the German soul. Now other scholars, first in Scandinavia and also in Germany, took a second look at Luther's theology and discovered that there was much that was not in agreement with the interpretations of the previous century. So what, what does this mean for us today? Why does this matter? How does this help us get a grip on the Word of God? Well, so far what we've talked about in this series is, is the inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, and authoritative Word of God. And what we see here today is that what theological liberalism offers and what the church has taught regarding its history is in conflict. You see, the convictions that we hold to, they matter. They they impact our lives. That means that, that bad theology, it corrupts. It leads to bad practice. Whereas sound biblical convictions about the Bible itself, they lead to having right views about, about God, about the Trinity, about ministry, about preaching, about the church, and, and so much more. You see, what theological liberalism does when it's in, put in practice, we can we can see this in mainline denominations. We can see this. You see, when the authority of the Bible is, is questioned, and, and denied, what happens? These churches die. What people are hungry for is, is the Word of God. What, what, what people need most is the Word of God. So, so having, having the right convictions about the Bible itself is really, really important. And that's where we're headed in the rest of our time together in this series, is, is talking about how the Bible is under attack and why it matters. And But, but today, we have all sorts of people. Even, even, for example, the prosperity gospel is, is a good example of this. They say that, you know, they believe all the same things as we do, but they use different, uh, they don't explain it in the same way. They use the same terms, but they mean different things. And so we need to pay attention to what they have to say. Many of these teachers are are, are charlatans that preach the, the prosperity gospel. They want to get into your pocketbook, but they don't care for your soul. And that's the difference. You see, as as Bible teachers, we, we teach from the Word of God, and, and we explain what it means and why it matters, because we, we actually love people. And why? Because God loves people. And God wants to see people saved. And he wants them to, to be rescued from their sin and reconcile to God and, and set on a new mission to proclaim the gospel and to call all men and women to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to make disciples to make disciples of all the nations for the glory of our great God and King Jesus Christ. So liberalism is a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's, it's meant to destroy the church, not build it up. So whenever you see people focusing on their opinions above the word of God, take note of those people. They are falling in a long line of tradition of 
of teachers who want to tickle your ears. Here at Servants of Grace, you can be assured that, that we stand on the Bible and that we will stand on the Bible and we will confront error because the Bible calls us to do so in love. We aren't contending to be contentious. We aren't having this conversation because we, we aim to, to call out people and ideas and, and movements. No, we, we, we do so because we are concerned for their the state of their soul, for the state of their soul and the, the followers that they fall, uh, that follow them. So we call you to today, to have the right convictions about the Word of God, to abandon error, to stand holy and, and steadfastly on the Word of God. Get a grip on the Word of God. Make sure that your convictions are, are formed around the Word of God. Be, as as Paul com- commended the Bereans in Acts 17, we, we need to be Bereans. We, need to be a pe- we are a people of the Word. We have 66 books. That's more than enough to study all of our days, all of our days, to read and to study all of our days, to get to know it, to master it. We will never truly master all of the Bible, but we are to study it and to to be mastered by it, and that's a significant difference. That is at the heart of the issue. You see, where the authority of Scripture is denied or undermined, you can be sure that theological liberalism is on the rise, that it that it is coming, that it will come, and it, it has come. We are seeing this over and over again today. Even even uh, even to people who say that that the atonement of Christ is causing child abuse and more. See, when we undermine the Bible and elevate our opinions, that's dangerous. What we're engaging in, make no mistake about it, is, is theological liberalism. That's why we need to stand fast for the Word of God and for what it teaches, because it contains the whole counsel of God, and as we've talked about, it points us to Jesus Christ. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Servants of Grace podcast, I want to encourage you to share it with your friends on social media or email your friends this this the link to this episode and you can find us on all of your favorite podcast catchers we're on spotify itunes google the list goes on and on find us there tell tell your friends about us until next time may the lord richly bless you and keep you